0: If you've been with us the last week, uh, right after Easter, we, we started a new series called Encounters of the Resurrected. If you were here last week, we talked about Peter and how uh, the Lord encountered Peter after the resurrection. And uh, what's great is is that the Lord encountered quite a few people after the resurrection, and uh, we're going to look at a couple more of those today. You know, he encountered uh, Mary. He had an encounter with Mary. He had an encounter with the disciples. He had an encounter with Thomas as well and 500 other people. But what's great is that he encounters them where they are. As you, if you were here last week, we talked about Peter and how he encountered the, the guilt that Peter had, denying Christ three times. And this week, we look at that Mary and the disciples and Thomas but the fact that the Lord encounters us in our grief, encounters us in our fears and in our pain. And you know, when you think of Thomas, uh, first thing people think of is they think of doubting Thomas, right? That, we, that Thomas doubted the Lord was there. He kind of has a bad rap. And so we've titled this sermon, Encountering Doubt. But here's the thing. I know full well, after being in ministry for a long time, that most of the people, and if not every person in this room, doesn't doubt the fact that Jesus existed. We don't have those doubts. We don't necessarily doubt that he's a a real person, that he died on the cross and rose again. What we do doubt is that he shows up when we need him to show up. That's where the doubt creeps in. We doubt often that the the Lord's going to show up in our time of need, right? That's why I love what uh, he says, to Thomas, in John twenty twenty nine. He said what? Blessed are those who have not seen yet believed. Isn't it great to, to know that we can believe something and not actually have seen it? Kids do this all the time, don't they? That faith, like a child, they believe in stuff that never seen. In fact, I have two kids, Caden and Langdon, and my daughter, Langdon, who's in uh, fourth grade now. I remember when she was really little. And my daughter is the most creative and funny person I know, and I, I remember when I going into her room, she had this great imagination. And I remember going to a room when she was, I think, four or five years old. And I, and I walked in, and on the floor, there was this huge contraption all over the floor with, with rope and boxes and tape and all kinds of sticks and all kinds of crazy uh, mechanisms all over the place, wooden things glued together. And there was, there was uh, some fake gold coins right in the middle. And I said, well, Langdon, what are you doing? And she said, I'm making a leprechaun trap. And I thought... Oh, this is going to be good. So I probed, as any parent would. I said, So, uh, a leprechaun trap, tell me what happens. She said, Well, if you catch a leprechaun, they either uh, leave uh, candy or a map to the gold. And she said, I'm hoping for the map. And I said, Well, it's good. You got your standard set high. So I said, Who told you about this? She said, Maya. My friend Maya told me. I said, What else did Maya tell you? She said, Well, Maya told me that these uh, leprechauns, they come over from Australia to make shoes for the fairies. I thought, Fantastic. And so I said, uh, So what happens? She said, Well, if you capture one. They have to give you candy or gold to let you go. And I said, well, this is fantastic. I have a slight ethical problem with you capturing a little green man with a red beard and holding him ransom um, for money. But I'm glad that you're thinking that way. She goes, yep, it's going to happen. I said, listen, Langdon, I don't want to rain on your parade. I'm I'm glad you're hoping for gold, but I I just don't think it's real. She said, it's absolutely real. My friend Maya told me. I said, Maya's not telling the truth. She said, absolutely, Maya's telling me the truth. She actually has one captured in her room right now. And I said, don't ever hang out with Maya again, (laughs) The kids believe anything, right? Why is it as we get older as adults, it's hard for us to believe stuff, right? We have this thing where it's like, it's hard for us to believe. Life gets a little harder, doesn't it? You think about the disciples and Mary and Thomas, and you think, man, I wonder what it would have been like after Christ died on that Friday, what, what that was like for them. Not sure what was going to happen. In fact, uh, Philip Yancey writes in the book, Jesus I Never Knew, he says this, we read the Gospels from the other side of Easter, we have the day printed on our calendars. We forget how hard it was for the disciples to believe. In itself, the tomb didn't convince them. The only fact demonstrated that he is not here, he is risen. Convincing them would require intimate, personal encounters with the one that had been their master for three years. And Jesus did exactly that over the next six weeks. The the appearances are not spectral, but flesh and blood encounters. So he encounters these folks, but he doesn't encounter them just as Mary and as the disciples and as Thomas. He encounters them in their grief, encounters them in their fears, and he encounters them in their pain. So we look at Mary. Mary is one of the, the first person that he encounters at the tomb. You know, if you have a chance to go to uh, the Holy Land with us, you'll, uh, we go to uh, a number of different places. And one of the places that uh, we visit is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is right there in the middle of Jerusalem. You maybe heard about this church on the news or seen it. Church of the Holy Sepulchre, right in the middle of Jerusalem. Back in the 300s, Constantine wanted to, uh, when he was converted to Christianity, he wanted to uh, keep... Um, all the, the, the places that Jesus has ever been uh, protected. So he sent his mother, and his mother had built all these churches around, all these holy sites. And inside the church, the Holy Sepulcher is the place where they believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and the tomb is there, and that's the tomb. Totally uh, uh, huge tomb that had been encased, right? And I remember being there for uh, the first time and thinking, I'm going to have this quiet time at the tomb like Mary did, right? And except I went there and I realized 100,000 other people were thinking the same thing right there. So it wasn't quiet at all. But 150 years ago, they found another tomb that I believe was a, a lot more like what Mary would encounter. It's called the garden tomb. We have a chance to go there as well. They wanted to protect it, so they they made it a a site where you couldn't build any churches over it, but it's a beautiful garden, really quiet, and they want you to be quiet when you go in. In fact, we have communion when we go. We have this quiet time of communion right there by the garden tomb, and I I remember thinking that Mary must have felt like this, this quiet place, this tomb, when she goes, because Mary was full of grief. Mary must have felt alone. Some of you are here amongst 100 people, but feel alone. We have a lot of grief going on in our life, but he encounters Mary there. He doesn't just encounter Mary, he encounters our grief. See John 20, it picks up in John 20, verse 15, it says this, Jesus said to to Mary, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus encountered Mary. He encountered her in her grief. Some of you are grieving over different things in life. Some of you have lost loved ones, I know it. Some of you have have missed, feel like you've been left out of certain things. Some of you feel like you've been abandoned by your parents, abandoned by your children, abandoned by your friends or your people in workplaces. You've been abandoned, you feel alone, and you're crying. You're grieving. That's what he does with Mary. And he's there, and he calls her by name, and she recognizes him. Mary's going there, it's a quiet day. She's going there to the tomb, and she... She's not thinking of the fact that Jesus is going to be there. She's just going, and she is weeping. She feels alone. Do you feel alone this morning? Some of us feel alone. Some of us feel like Mary where we just go, you know, things are not good. I'm missing out on people. I'm missing out on friends. I'm missing out on life. She comes to the tomb early, and she hears his voice, and she recognizes it. She, I don't know what she did. I wonder if she she threw her arms around him. I wonder if she fell at his feet. I do not know, but I do know that whatever she did, that Jesus was there and he embraced her. Because he was there. He was real. But he knew her name. And it's interesting when you think of Mary, you think, man, of all the people he could have gone to. We talked about this last week with Peter and how Peter had... Screwed up so bad he he had a chance to align himself with Christ and he didn't, and he didn't do it. And there's a statue right there in Jerusalem of Peter who, who denied Christ three times. You think, why did he go to Peter? And we realize Peter, he went to Peter because he goes to people that have kind of messed up. We think, why did he go to Mary? He goes to Mary before he even goes to Peter. Why in the world didn't he, Jesus, go and reveal himself to the, the, the mass of people? Why didn't he go to the Roman government? Why didn't he go somewhere where everybody could see him? Why does he go to Mary? Why Mary? Why her? He just conquered death. He is the undisputed king of the universe. 10,000 angels are standing ready to serve. And what does he do? What's his first act? He goes to Mary. Why Mary? We find a lot about Mary back in Luke, verse, uh, Luke chapter eight. It says the 12 were with him. And some of the women who had been cursed of cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out, who once had seven demons. Can you imagine? We have pictures of Jesus dealing with demons, possessed people. Some of you had one demon or two demons. Can you imagine seven? Seven demons. Some of you feel like you have a demon for every single day of the week. Mary wondered that, felt like that. Every single day she's attacked by something. Some of you feel like you've been constantly attacked. Here's Mary who's been possessed by demons and Jesus comes to her. Why? Because he's not here for the holy people. He's here for the people that are sick and need a doctor. I know some of you are dealing with some, so many things in life, whether it's addictions, whether it's habits, whether it's thoughts, whether it's depression, you're dealing with and every single day it's just a battle to get out of bed. You feel attacked, you feel oppressed. I think of Mary in all this because Mary was attacked by seven demons and now she recognizes Jesus. Why? Maybe it's because she remembers that Jesus was the first voice she heard without seven demons in her head. Or maybe... Jesus goes to Mary because of the verse in Psalm 30, which says, weeping may last through the night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. Some of you need joy. Some of us need joy because we've been weeping for years, sad by the things that happen around us, like Mary. Weeping lasts through the night, but joy comes in the morning. I'm telling you right now, if you're going through some tough times in life, joy can come. Joy can come to you. Why? Because he knows your name. He knows your name. He knows Mary's name. You think I'm talking to somebody who's holier, somebody who's perfect. You've heard maybe growing up that that God loves good people. Wrong. There are no good people. You may hear of people say, well, once you love God first, then he'll love you. Wrong. Wrong. He loves you unconditionally. That's why he sent his son to die for you. He loves you and knows you by name. You may feel like you're all alone, like Mary at the tomb. You may feel like you're in a room with a couple hundred people and feel alone, but guess what, you're not alone because God knows you by name. That's why John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. If there's a good shepherd, that must mean that there's a bad shepherd somewhere, right? A good shepherd knows his sheep, knows him individually, knows him by name. I'm telling you right now, the Lord knows your name. He knows Mary's name. He knows your name. He does not need some kind of book to jog his memory of who you are and what you're going through. He encounters us in our grief because he knows your name. Just like he knows Mary. You're not alone. You're not alone. You may feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. That's why he's here. He not only encounters our grief, but he also encounters our fears, too. He encounters our fears. You know, out of all the things I talk about this morning, this one's probably the hardest one for me because I think all of us deal with different stuff. I probably dealt with fear the most when I was a kid. Fearing the unknown, fearing what could happen, always thinking the bad thing's going to happen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We're constantly thinking of the worst-case scenario. We're anxious, we have anxiety, we have fears, we have worries, and we're trapped in it. We think? I don't have enough money to pay my bills. I don't know if my husband or wife is going to leave me. I don't know if my kids are going to be okay. I don't know if I'm going to be okay. I've just got this uh, disease, uh, uh, or I have this sickness that the doctors just told me about. I don't know what's going to happen. I have fears. I have worries. I have worries at work. What if people find out about me, that I'm a Christian? What if they find out about me? What if they find out who I really am? What if they find out what I've done behind closed doors? I have fears and worries. The disciples had fears and worries as well. That's why he Encounters us in our fears. John 20, 19 says this on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, the fear for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were locked together because of fear. I remember being so fearful of so many things. I was terrified as a kid that my parents would forget about me at a place, okay? Whether it was at church or at school or a youth group or at sports, that my parents would never show up, right? And so it was kind of a joke. My family would say, I'll be there. I'll be there. I always them to be there a few minutes early. They'd be there. I was so scared of that, right? I'm not so scared of it anymore. In fact, I'm more fearful my parents will show up uh, when I least <laughs> expect them. Some of us are fearful. Anxieties and worries. And he deals with the disciples. He says, what does he say to them? He says, peace be with you. You know what's interesting when you see this? This is that greeting, um, standard greeting. right? You say, peace be with you. What's interesting is that he says, peace be with you in John 20, but, but when he's in the upper room with the disciples before He says this in John 14, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives, don't let your hearts be troubled, don't be afraid. So what does he say to the disciples before he dies? He says, peace I leave with you. Now that he's dead and comes back, now he says, peace I give you. In other words, there was no peace before because you couldn't have a relationship with God because because of sin we all fall short of the glory of God. But because he died on the cross for us, now we can have a relationship with God. That's where the peace comes in. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. In Paul's books and his letters, he always starts with the words, grace and peace be with you. If you've ever been to a liturgical church where they they, uh, do certain things or they have written prayers, they often will pass the peace. It comes from this. We pass the peace to one another. We can pass the peace because Christ died and made peace between God and man. Peace be with you. In the midst of fears, in the midst of what they're at in life, the disciples are fearful that they're going to get killed. He comes and gives them peace. He encounters them in their peace because he knows exactly what they need. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is this, come, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28. It says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I love that because it would be tragic if it said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you a new job. Right? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you more money. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you the answer to the question that you have. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll fix that health condition you have. No, 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 no. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Why? Because he knows exactly what you need. He knew that the disciples needed peace. He knew the disciples didn't need new jobs. The disciples were fishermen before, many of them. They went out to be fishermen again. Their jobs didn't change, but they changed. Now, sometimes in life, the Lord will change our circumstances. He'll change your job. He'll change your finances. He'll uh, provide healing in certain aspects. Those are wonderful things, and it happens all the time. But ultimately, it's peace that he wants to give us in life some of you have been praying for years for a certain thing in life and you go why is God not answering me and I've always I've talked to people who say Jared I've been praying about this situation in life I'm praying God to change it I've been praying that it would all work out and God doesn't hear me I said well maybe you're praying for the wrong thing maybe God wants to give you peace because he knows exactly that's what you need and you've got to keep your eyes focused on him he wants to teach you in the situation you're in whether it's the job you're in whether it's the marriage you're in whether it's the health condition you're in maybe he wants to teach you something along the way but you got to keep your eyes focused on him. That's the peace we have. He encounters our fears because he knows exactly what we need. Is that you this morning? Fears in life can really grip us, can't they? As parents, we have fears of our children. How could we ever pay for these things? How could we ever provide for them? How could we raise them in a culture like that? You know what? God doesn't want us to have fears. He wants us to come to him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why? Because I know exactly what you need, but you gotta keep your eyes focused on me. Peter had that, didn't he? Remember Peter, he was in the boat, and, and Jesus was out in the water, and Jesus says, come to me. So Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water, right? And he starts to sink. So two things come to him. One, he's going down, but Jesus is up because he stops focusing on Jesus and starts looking at all the problems in life and becomes fearful, and he starts going down. It's as soon as he starts looking at Jesus that he begins to walk again the disciples said the same thing when they were in the boat they were in the boat and the storm came up major storm, they're terrified they go down and say, Jesus don't you care that we're going to drown? of course he cares, that's why he's here he didn't all of a sudden transport them to be on land give them a new boat he calms the storm that's the peace I hope you can have peace this morning because I know some of you are dealing with a lot of fears in life he encounters our grief. He encounters our fears because he knows what we need, but he also encounters our pain. He encounters our pain. He shows up to Thomas. Disciples, apparently Thomas wasn't there. So he shows up to Thomas later in and, and John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas also known as Didymus, was one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas, known as Didymus, Didymus actually means twin. So Thomas had a twin. You may say, well, who's his twin? I have no idea. It doesn't matter, right? But he's a twin. But we give Thomas a bad rap, right? He's the one that we say, oh, man, there he is, questioning God. He's doubting Thomas, right? You ever have that person in life and school that always asks the questions to kind of probe? If you are ever in school, they would always ask the teacher to explain it some more, yeah? I hated those people, right? I, could not, I, did, I couldn't stand them. If you're one of those people, I, I apologize. I remember being in seminary once at my doctoral work, and we... We were at this uh, intensive work, and we had eight hours with this professor. I had taken 115 pages of notes. And I remember it was like 6 o'clock in the evening, and the professor finally said, "Um, does anybody have any questions? And some guy across from me starts putting his hand up, and I'm looking at him saying, don't you dare ask a question, right? This is what he said. He said, uh, Professor, you love the lecture today. You mentioned something back uh, around 9.30 this morning um, on page seven. Could you go and go over that again? I picked up my laptop and I threw it at his, no, I did not, I did not. I was so angry though because he probed. A lot of us like to probe and ask questions, right? That's what Thomas does. He wants to know more. He doesn't want to just take it for granted. He says, no, unless I see the nail marks, unless I see the scars, I need to know it. That's Thomas, right? So before we jump on him, let's be thankful for him. The other thing about Thomas is that we encounter Thomas uh, one other time before. It was during Lazarus' time. And Thomas says to the disciples, he says, let us go ahead that we may die with him. He basically says, let us go with Jesus. Wherever he's going to go, we want to die with him. So Thomas is the one out of all the disciples, probably not the biggest doubter, might be actually the bravest one. He actually could be the bravest one because he's saying, hey, listen, wherever Christ is going, I want to go. I want to go even if we go and die with him. I don't know why he wasn't there with the other disciples when Jesus first came. He may have felt alone or betrayed. I don't know. He had loved the Lord almost more than some of the other ones, it seemed, because he's willing to go die with him. So maybe what made Thomas different, not that his doubt was greater, but maybe his sorrow was greater. The other disciples said, we've seen the Lord, and Thomas says, listen, I, I've got to see the scars. I've got to know the pain was there. It's not that he could not, I will not. If I believe, it's going to change everything. That's what C.S. Lewis says. We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will, be, will turn out to be. So Thomas is saying, listen, I, 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 I've got to see it. I've got to know. So in John 20, verse 27 Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands, put out your hand, place it at my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. He recognized him right away. Whenever we reflect on the fact that Christ died on the cross and the pain that he felt, that he goes and prepares a place for us in heaven, He's going to prepare a place for us. Then all the worries, all the concerns, they all go away. Because we realize that this life is just temporary. That we can get through any pain in life because we know he went through the pain. He knows what we need because he knows our name. But we got to keep our eyes focused on him. Blessed are those that believe that have not yet seen. What you're going to notice about Thomas is not the doubt What I hope you notice about Thomas is that while everyone else in the story seem to have forgotten that Jesus had suffered, in light of his glorious resurrection, there's one person, Thomas, who remembers it and asks for it. Thomas is, in other words, the, the person who remembers the whole story. All the hurt, all the hope. Thomas believes redemption is more than just an eraser of pain. For him, redemption is the way people live in spite of the pain that they carry. Thomas expects scars. Jesus has got to have scars because he suffered something just awful. Thomas is the only one brave enough to, to ask a friend a painful wounds, hey, show me those scars. He remembers that suffering of Jesus is absolutely real. Only Thomas Thomas knows that Jesus suffered and he's got scars as well. He may be portrayed as the doubting Thomas, but I believe he's one of the most faithful and bravest one of them all. He says, let us go die with him because he knows the scars. That's why Hebrews 12 says, Two speaks to us. It says, For the joy set before him, he what? Endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Some of you have so much pain in life. And I know the scars are real. I know that you've gone through stuff in life that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. You've been abused as a kid. You've been abused as an adult. You've been betrayed. You've had a spouse that rejected you and went somewhere else. You've had kids that do the same. There's pain there. You've had people, friends, dear friends, say something to you so hurtful that you've never spoken to them again. That's pain. There's pain there. There's pain, I get it. Some of you have pain because a child left, because a family has disowned you. You have, some of you have physical pains from diseases that you have, and you have pain every single day. I talked to somebody right after service, her dear father had pains for 17 years, physical pains in his body. How do we keep going? We keep going because we keep our eyes focused on the Lord. We keep our eyes focused on him and he gives us peace. In a few minutes, we're going to sing a song that I think speaks volumes about the peace that we can have in life about the storms that we go through, that our eyes have to stay focused on him. Like Peter, who's going down, he's got to keep his eyes focused on him. Remember, the pain that you have in life aren't bad things. Jesus has scars too. I once read an article about the little bee who says in a favorite quote, it says, a scar is never ugly. That's what the scar maker wants us to think. But you and I, we must take an agreement to defy them. We must see all scars as beauty. Because take it from me, a scar doesn't form on the dying, only on the living. A scar means I survived something. Some of you have survived something, some pretty tragic things in life. Some of you are going through some pretty tragic things in life. Redemption is an eraser of pain. But redemption gives us peace knowing that Christ is in control but we gotta keep our eyes focused on him. How does he encounter our pain? He encounters our pain because he knows what you're going through. So when the doubt creeps in, when your doubt creeps in thinking, is God really real? Is the Lord going to come to me in my time of need? You need to remember that despite our grief, despite our fears, despite our pain, that he knows your name. He knows it. He knows what you need too, because he knows what you're going through. You got to keep your eyes focused on him, despite the storms. Keep your eyes focused on him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. I thank you that you know each and every person's name in this room right now. You know what we're going through. Some of us feel lonely. Some of us feel like we're grieving. Some of us feel like we've been attacked every single day of the week. Lord, thank you for knowing our names. Thank you that we can be in a room full of hundreds of people, not feel alone because you know us. And Lord, you know what we need. Lord, some of us think that we need something else, but you know what we really need is peace. Thank you for bringing that to us. Thank you that we can keep our eyes on you, that peace can come. And Lord, thank you for the pain that you've gone through because it reminds us that you know us so you can relate to what we're going through. Lord, I pray that we keep our eyes focused on you and that you bring us peace here now, that you bring us joy, that whatever weeping had been going on, That we leave it here because joy is coming in the morning. We thank you and we give you all the praise and all the glory. And we ask all this in your precious and holy name.